everyone has the potential to achieve. So we make sure that our qualifications give all students the opportunity to show what they can do and progress to the next stage of their lives. Our UK qualifications are highly valued by employers and universities around the world. As an independent education charity, our income is reinvested back into AQA's charitable activities, funds our cutting edge research and supports our initiatives to help young people facing challenges in life realize their potential. Hello there, thanks for joining me today for another job pod. Today is a little different. For today's podcast, I'm joined by Richard Bustin, who's Head of Geography at Lanson College, Alice Matthews, who's now in her fourth year of teaching at an old boys school in London, and Charlotte Milner, teaching geography at Westminster City School. So we're quite a throng. God knows how we're going to all fit into the studio. Welcome to Job Pod. Thank Hello. you. I can see this is going to be like managing an unruly classroom. You all spoke at once there. That wouldn't work on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just want to do a bit of an introduction and then we'll get into the meat of why we're going to chat here today. But if I I do a bit of introduction about it, because we've got a range of of experience here. Alice, after a PGC at the University of Cambridge, you're in your fourth year of teaching. Charlotte, I think the same, aren't you? You're in your fourth year of teaching as well. Uh, Teaching at Westminster City School. You, but you're also, if that wasn't enough, you're also doing an MA in social justice and education, which I'd like to talk about. And Richard, as well as being head of geography at Lansing College, and you've done a variety of things on your journey to there, you've edited, authored, commissioned a number of papers and books and teaching resources. You work with training geography teachers across the country. What we want to talk about today really is... Um, it's teaching geography, and it's it's your role, isn't it, on the, the editorial board that brings us together today. And actually, more than that, you're the, the guest editor for the next Teaching Geography this autumn edition. So if you could start, Richard, just tell us a little bit about how you've got to where you've got to. What got you into teaching? And what on earth made you become involved in the extra work <laughs> of being <laughs> the guest editor and on the board of uh, teaching geography uh well um thanks john <laughs> what made me become a teacher that's a long time ago um well it's the it's the classic story really i had a really good geography teacher myself at school mr seymour um but also when i was at school i, I was also in the scouts outside school and i got to do loads of traveling as a, as a child so i remember i went on the world scouts jamboree which was in chile um and then stayed with a family uh, in Argentina after that. So it was a big collection of scouts, 30,000 scouts from all around the world, all camping together and living together for a week. Uh, and I was 16 years old at that point. So that was such an eye-opening experience for me. And I followed it up when I was in my A-level year. I went out to the Gambia in West Africa. So I was out there for a couple of weeks and I followed that up with going back to the Gambia in a gap year after my A-levels before I went to university. And I taught geography in a school in in the Gambia. I've no idea why the headmaster let me do that. I just turned up and the headmaster was very keen. I said, I'd love to do a bit of geography. He said, yeah, great. Come on then. The school was one of those rural schools. So we had had children arrived at 6 a.m., left at midday the next cohort turned up at 1 p.m and stayed till till 6 p.m um, and i would whatever taught i taught in the morning i would then teach again in the afternoon so i was working with the, the other there's only one other geography teacher there 
sometimes he would teach the morning, I would teach the afternoon and repeat his lessons. And I wasn't a qualified teacher. I'd only just finished my A-levels. I've no idea why they let me do it, but it was such an amazing experience. And, and of course, when I went back into the classroom after my first trip, when I went back into the classroom to, to take my A-levels, of course, the whole thing made sense. Suddenly everything had made sense. All the, the development stuff I'd been learning about, it all seemed to fit together. And so I then went to university, did my degree, wanted to be a teacher, became a teacher. Um, and of course, I think there's always a sense after you've been teaching for a couple of years, you think, well, there's got to be more to it. You know, what, what, what's go, what is going on? And, and that started me off on the journey with the, with the GA, going along to GA conferences, reading, teaching geography, doing some of my, of my own research. I mean, I know Charlotte's doing an MA and, and I did, um, you know, I did an, an, the MA geography education. And that set me off on a particular path. And then I followed that up with a PhD. And I've just always been interested, I guess, in trying to understand what we're trying to do when we teach geography and what it's all about. And, and, and I'm still trying to find out after all this time. I taught in Zanzibar for a short while. Um, they have no resources at the school I was at, so I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll buy a huge bag. This was a long time ago. I'll buy a huge bag of world stamps and we'll, um, we'll sort them all out into countries and we'll see where all the countries are and stick them onto world maps. Well, what a nightmare because it was the start of the rainy season. So the air was 100% humidity. I got the stamps out and it was just one big stamp <laughs> onto the floor. About a thousand stamps had all stuck together. So the first lesson was unsticking all the stamps from each other. But it was a lot of fun. And it taught me quite a lot about what you can do with just a blackboard. I've just, I just posted something on Twitter the other day. And that's what it was like when I started. I had a blackboard. Somebody had said, what happens if I lose my visualiser? And my and, and it, same as me, really. I had a, a, a roller desk and a roller blackboard. Alice. Hello. You graduated from Bristol Uni, but I so you're now in London. What happened there? Well, I, I absolutely love Bristol. Um, my degree focused on physical geography um, and we had some amazing lecturers there. Um, and we largely focused a lot on glaciers, which kind of, links in with my um article that I wrote for for teaching geography um but after Bristol I really wanted to do my teacher training in London and I eventually ended up doing my teacher training um in Cambridge and then came to London I really wanted to work in an inner city school London was the, the perfect place to to fulfill that ambition yeah, I want to come back to your article. Oh, that was fascinating. But then I've always liked physical geography and uh, and I just thought your piece was brilliant. Last but not least, of course, Charlotte, you're teaching in London as well. You're at Westminster City School. Yeah. So you're also doing your MA, which I would like to talk about as well, because it's, uh, it's in social justice and education. So yeah. what got you to where you're at with, with that? It's not something, to be honest, it's not something I thought about when I started teaching. And I, I'd look back and I think, well, how did I miss this key point? Yeah, so I think for me, I really fell in love with geography when I was studying it at A-level. I found some of the concepts we were learning about really interesting. It's when we started to think a bit more about social issues. And that's kind of what I'm mainly interested in. And I studied a lot of that when I did my undergraduate at the University of Manchester. And then after I graduated from uh, Manchester, I actually didn't go straight into teaching. I did some work in refugee resettlement and then I worked for um, a children's rights organization doing kind of like project management work 
So I've kind of always been really interested in social justice and working in that kind of area. And then when I decided to go into teaching, it was something that I kind of wanted to explore a bit further in terms of how we can teach about social justice and social issues in geography. And that kind of uh, led me into doing my MA in, in social justice and education this year. Yeah. One of the things that teaching geography did for me, and it just shows how far back it goes, it hadn't been out very long when it started, was it made me think about things in a different way. When I did my degree, our human geography was looking at Cristala and Lersch and models of, of human settlement patterns and industrial patterns, which actually didn't have any people involved in it at all. It was mathematical, statistical patterns. And it wasn't until later on that I started reading up about the sorts of things that you talk about in terms of social justice. And, and the value of teaching geography for me has been to, to pose questions to make me think. But before we talk about your role on that, all of you, I just want to go, I suppose, put a little bit of this into context. Because if we go back in time, the Geographical Association itself was set off in, in 1893 because the several of the members of the RGS were concerned that the RGS was more concerned with exploration as the learning society rather than education. And they were, they were opposed to the use of the lantern slides and they were opposed to women members. They also said that teachers were far too far spread to be able to share their ideas effectively without having some sort of journal. And that was when the, the Geographical Teacher was first published. And Douglas Freshfield said it's about teachers being too scattered and too busy for discussion. So we need some sort of magazine to draw them together. Teaching Geography started in, in 1975. And that, that was one of my first ports of call. But I never thought about writing for the GA. So, Richard, what do you think Teaching Geography is for? And how do you see it's developed since its beginnings in the 1975? Well, I actually think, I mean, I wasn't there when, at the start, <laughs> as, 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 as you were, um, but I think it probably does the same role now as it did then, which is to provide an opportunity for geography teachers to talk to other geography teachers. But it's done in a, a formalised way. It's done in a, in, a, in a way that has a certain sense of rigour and a certain sense of peer review to it. It is, it is a journal. Um, but it's teachers sharing ideas in the same way that it has done for, 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 for since it started. Teachers going, look, I've got this really good idea. I've tried it in the classroom. This is what I've done. Here are some resources to go with it. And you can, with lots of our articles, you can download uh, some of the teaching materials. Others of our articles are all about, actually, here's an idea. We've been doing it wrong or we've been doing it this way or this person says this and this person says this. What do you think? Um, and it's to get people thinking. I always think, you know, geography, all teachers are busy. Geography teachers are busy. And I always think, let's imagine you've got that day where you're teaching every single lesson in the day. You've got a, a meeting at lunchtime. You're running a detention after school. You've got that 10 minute coffee break. Um, you grab your cup of coffee, you sit down and you've got a bit of time. Well, what might you do? I'd love to think that there are some geography teachers that might go, oh, yeah, that new teaching geography has just arrived. I'll have a quick flick through. Well, that article looks interesting. And then you read it and it makes you think in a certain way or it makes you go, oh, I'll, look, I'll use that. Um, I mean, I've taken ideas from teaching geography so many times. I go, oh, I'll just use that. And I put it in my classroom, put it in my lesson. And it's now part of what I do every year, um, uh, every year since. And it, loads and loads of ideas come, come from teaching geography. So I think its aim now is very similar to, to, to its aim 
and its aspiration when it started. Was what is really interesting, you can do on the GA website if you subscribe to Teaching Geography, you can actually search the archive of all the old teaching geography articles. So now if you're if you subscribe to TG, not only do you get the current one with all the modern stuff in it, but actually you can go back. So if you're if you're doing some research, um, if you're doing a master's or if you're doing um, you know some other sort of research that you're interested in. Um, have a look back through the articles of teaching geography and you can see how ideas, I mean, computing is a really interesting idea, how computing first came along and now every second article is on GIS. Um, and it's just really nice. We have a series called From the Archive where we invite, it's usually one of our editorial team who will go back through the archive and go, what, what have we said? How has what we've been talking about over time on certain issues changed um, throughout, the, the, throughout the time? So that's a really nice place to go for, for research if you're researching a particular topic. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. When I go back through mine, I can tell which ones I used most because they're the ones that have got purple and black bands staying on them usually, where I was copying out and copying things because it was in the days well before we had anything on computer and we hand wrote lesson plans on bander skins. Do any of you remember it? No, see, it was a, we had a, current, a coloured set of uh, sheets and it went through a, a spirit machine. And you, if you were lucky, you could produce 200 worksheets before it worked itself out. I've, I've got lots and lots of support from the GA. Luckily, I went to university in Sheffield and I did my teacher training in Sheffield. And that's the headquarters of the GA. So I was able in those days, before we shared everything electronically, that the library was in the building. And the GA's moved since, but the library was at forward road and I could spend hours going through looking at the, the resources and borrowing them, slides and various other bits and pieces it was absolutely fantastic but I've never I was going to say I've never written for the GA I have actually but but I was only co-author I wrote with Duncan Duncan Hawley and to be fair Duncan wrote the article because I hadn't well I, I never felt I had the confidence to do it so I'll ask you this first Richard and then we'll open it up but who who writes for the GA? I'd like to think anybody could write for the GA. I mean, generally, the articles that we get in are from people who are doing a doing some sort of other work or other research themselves. So they could be a, a PGCE students. We get lots from PGCE students who have done an essay. They go out and as part of their PGCE program are researching something. If you're doing master's degrees, sometimes people do a, a, a some sort of dissertation that's based around geography education, and the same, I guess, with, with doctorates. Um, we get articles from people working in, in teacher education, but actually, we get articles from anybody. And, I, and, and I've always said the article is only the, the, the journal is only ever as strong as the people who write for it. So if you if you've never written something, um, please, you know, please think about it. Have a have a go at writing something because. Um, the more voices that we hear in the journal, the, the better it will be for all of us and the better it will be for everybody, because we all have slightly different experiences of, of life, of geography, teaching, of classrooms. So, yeah, so, so anybody can write for the GA. And that's, I think, one of the things that, that, that I, I, we're all really keen to, to, to encourage. That's really interesting that you, you're asking for people at different levels of experience. But I find it really interesting when I, when I read the articles that people have written. And I quite often find it interesting when somebody's put something, and I think, well, I, I did that 15 years ago, but I tell you what, I've forgotten about it, and it was a good idea then, and it's a good idea back again now. Revisiting things is also useful, because otherwise those sorts of things get lost. Alice, we, we said at the beginning, we, you talked a little bit about your article. How did, how did that come about? How did you get the idea? And then putting it into the GA, what gave you that sort of prod? 
Well, actually, Richard came in to give a talk to the Geography PGC students. And at the end of his talk, he mentioned the opportunity to write for the GA. Um, and it's something that I was interested in at the time, but I kind of didn't jump on the opportunity straight away. I wanted to wrap up my PGCE. And it was during that summer in between my finishing my PGC and starting my NQT, yeah, that I reached out to Richard about writing for the GA. Um, and my article was based on research that I did for my final assignment of my PGCE. Um, and I just really wanted to share these resources that I'd found around virtual fieldwork and share them with the wider teaching community. Um, and I feel very fortunate that I had that research in place because that really helped when it came to write the article, I could just kind of take my final projects and shorten it into what was called the G Factor article. But Richard was the, was the source behind uh, encouraging me to write the article. How long did it take? So I, again, I was fortunate in that I'd already written this really long assignment and I just had to shorten it. Um, I would say the whole process maybe took me from July, August time all the way through until January, but that included things like having the article reviewed and then uh, rewriting or changing some parts of it. But the whole team at the GA were incredibly supportive and all of the deadlines were really manageable. So I think one of the biggest things that the reasons why some people might not write for the GA is to, due to time constraints. Um, and I wrote the article kind of during my, my NQT year, which is a really busy year. It's a big step up from the PGC, or I found it so anyway. Um, but the, the editorial board were really, really supportive and yeah, made it, made it a manageable um, experience to do on top of starting teaching. Yeah, I do think time is an issue, really. It's, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it, to spend reflective time as a teacher when you're so busy. But then, Charlie, you've managed to find time to do two now. So yeah. you've written two articles. So it, we can't be saying that one of them was done while you were doing your PGC year and then you haven't had the time. So tell us what you've done. Um, so uh, I'll start with talking about how I kind of came about writing the article in the first place. So again, uh, just like Alice was saying, it was during my PGCE, um, we were tasked with writing a piece of kind of action research on um, how we can make geography more inclusive. And I was really interested in looking at kind of how we can make it more uh, inclusive kind of from a racial perspective. Um, I come from a very kind of white part of Yorkshire, went to Manchester thinking, oh, it's going to be much more diverse than the course remained a very white course and I kind of started to think about why that was at that point and then when I started doing my uh, teacher training it's something that I wanted to explore again because I found myself again in a cohort of people that was uh, kind of mainly uh, white middle class so I kind of started to think well why is this the case I'm in London I've been in Manchester you know diverse places so that's kind of where the ideas came from in the first place and I was familiar with teaching geography at that point, but it just never occurred to me that I would write for it. I don't think I really thought about 
who was writing for it, where those people were coming from, who they were. And it was my um, course tutor at my my teacher training um, who suggested that I actually write for uh, teaching geography. Um, And I was, you know, kind of a bit surprised because I thought, oh, a a trainee teacher can do that. um, And you certainly can. So, yeah, I got in touch with the GA and then said that I was interested in doing this and kind of told them what I was currently writing about. And it genuinely was quite a a straightforward process, I feel. It was really supportive. Um, I think it was Mel that I spoke to initially. She gave me some guidance on kind of how much, how many words you could write, um, what the angle was, kind of, you know, what you should include in a more succinct piece, because my original article was about uh, 5,000 words, so I had to um, get it to 2,500. And once I'd done that, I think the the time scale from actually finishing writing the research for my PGCE and actually getting it published was from June to September in 2020. You know, it, it was the pandemic, so I did have a bit more time than usual, I suppose. But um, yeah, it was quite a quite a straightforward process. And as you said, um, I've actually written two articles now. So the second one I did in my NQT year. And I did, it was like a co-authored piece um, with a, uh, two other geography teachers, Hafsa and Hina, who at that point I hadn't actually met. We just kind of knew each other virtually um, because of COVID. But yeah, we put together an article. Um, and again, it was a really easy process because the, you know, the people at the GA and the editorial board are um, really supportive. They're really clear with what, what they're asking for. Um, and I actually have been a corresponding member of the editorial board myself um, this past year as well. So it just goes to show kind of the mix of people that are on that board. You know, you've got more experienced people and then you've got people like me who've just kind of come out of NQT and into straightforward teaching. What does a corresponding member do then? Um, so um, every so often um, we get sent articles um, that um, teachers have sent to the editorial board that they want to um, have published in Teaching Geography. And then um, the editorial board and the corresponding members as well, we all kind of um, provide comments on that article um, and suggestions on how it can be improved. Because I think we're very keen on kind of having um, different publications in teaching geography and we're really keen to support people in getting to that process um, so it's a really supportive um, kind of process that the editorial board goes through and we just yeah we just provide comments and then that article goes back to the person who's written it they have an opportunity to make amendments and then hopefully it gets put into the teaching geography journal all right now the nice you both of you then mentioned COVID a little bit. Your Alice, your virtual fieldwork must have been done with COVID in mind because people just couldn't get and do stuff. So tell us a little bit about what what the article's like and what teachers can get out of it. So really interestingly, I wrote my article. My article was published prior to COVID. So I feel like it maybe foreboded <laughs> virtual fieldwork becoming a bit more prominent in schools. My fieldwork, the motivation behind doing the virtual fieldwork was to get students into a landscape and into an environment that they typically wouldn't have access to. So my article focuses on glacial landscapes, 
Um, these are really distant places. In glaciers, you learn about quite abstract concepts. So it was about trying to make these abstract, abstract concepts in this really distant place um, accessible to the students. Um, and I used resources like Britice and uh, VR Glaciers, which is uh, a free resource where you have access to glacial environments and you kind of have like 360 degree views of these glacial environments and you can choose different sites to visit within that glacial environment and then Britice is a interactive map which looks at glaciated Britain and you can interact with what glacial features would have been present um, during the last ice age. Um, so these two um, resources are free and I think that was something that I found really important to do within my research as well as to make that accessible to all uh, types of schools. And since I wrote my article there have been more virtual fieldwork articles published surrounding using virtual fieldwork as part of um, fieldwork during COVID-19 and I think one article was published um, last summer about the use of VR headsets and um, using 360-degree cameras and apps on students' phones. So there's definitely a breadth of virtual fieldwork out there and a bigger and a growing body now of virtual fieldwork that's kind of moving away from just using video and photography and more towards using advanced technology. Did you have examples of this as you used in the classroom or was it that you produced the article around the things that you could use? Did you have, did you try it and then report on that? That's, yeah, really good question. I actually did the research with a group of year nine students and we were fortunate enough to have computers around the classroom. Uh, so I suppose I did hone in and make the use of those resources and that made the process of conducting the virtual field work easier um, and I recognise that that is not the situation for lots of schools. I mean, even in the school that I teach in now, getting access to computers or getting access to laptops still proves a constraint. But at the time I was, I did have the access to the, to the computers it is interesting that um, you can put yourself in a position of doing some of the research for teachers who are busy and then they can at least cherry pick what they've got. So if, it, if their circumstances that you've described don't fit them, they've at least got the opportunity to go, well, that worked really well there. I can't do that, but I can do this. And they, you've done some of the thinking. I, I often say to the uh, quality marks goals, they'll put something in and I'll, because I'm, I'm on the quality mark board for primary and secondary and some of the work is fantastic and then when you say to teachers why don't you write about this for tg they'll say well don't everybody do this uh, actually no this is fantastic practice so what you've done is given people the, the opportunity to to pick through some really good practice and then adapt it for themselves so uh, you you can adopt it if you can with computers like you were talking about or you just adapt it but at least you know that it works and it provides, I don't know whether we still use this, but a trusted voice. I think one of the things that you've all talked about is something that's peer reviewed and we know that it's good quality because there's so much nonsense that you can pick up on things like edgy Twitter where people say this is brilliant and actually, just a second, no it isn't, 
it's poor geography. Charlotte, talk me through yours a little bit more detail. Uh, yeah, so my article is about how we can tackle the whiteness of geography. So as I kind of alluded to earlier, when I was talking about my experience of geography and always finding myself in very white cohorts, I started to think a little bit more about, you know, how the how the discipline is, is constructed and, and who is, you know, making up the discipline kind of at the university level and who's conducting research and how is that impacting what we actually teach in the classroom. The geography um, discipline, and I know Danny Dawling in particular has talked about this recently, um, is, is mainly constructed of, of, you know, white middle-class scholars. So what I wanted to kind of think about was, how we can kind of tackle that production of knowledge that reflects the positionality of those people. So the the life experience of those people. And what does that mean for the students in the classroom that that aren't white? I teach in a school that's incredibly diverse. And it was something that I was quite conscious of when I started teaching. I was wondering if this knowledge and this, um, you know, these geographical concepts and things, you know, is this something that's, relatable is there another way of thinking about things Um, and so that's what the article is really about Um, and I spoke with geography teachers um, who uh, represent the global majority so I had teachers that were of different heritage um, and we kind of spoke about their experience of uh, teaching geography but also their experience of learning it as well at school or at university and there were some really interesting things that came out of those interviews that kind of kind of led the rest of the the research. So we, I kind of explored how we represent the world, how we're representing people and different countries. Um, and there was also kind of another element of the article that explores students' exposure to different places as well, um, thinking about field work and, and how students of different ethnicities might experience field work in different locations. Um, I remember one of the teachers that I spoke with for the uh, data collection spoke of feeling out of place in certain uh, kind of rural spaces. So I kind of explored that as well um, a little bit further. And the article, I was quite keen to give kind of practical, uh, not solutions because it's not a solution, but a a practical approach to uh, tackling the whiteness of geography. So I explore how we can use students' personal experiences and their knowledge of different places, and how we can use case studies effectively. So do we increase the, uh, the range of case studies or do we do them in a bit more depth? And I also um, explored how we can teach about colonialism and, and the impacts that that continues to have on different countries today and how we can ingrain that a little bit more in our geographical learning. It is white, though, geography, isn't it? You look at the, the audience at uh, a conference. Um, yeah. We've had people talking about this, haven't we, Richard? This has been something that we've, been, we've thought about for, for quite some time. Not just, not just the whiteness of geography, but I, we get comments about the eliteness of the Geographical Association. Now, I, I, just in my case, I taught in a mining community outside Rotherham. We bus children in from several villages, we had, at one stage, we had 11 double-decker buses that bussed our children in from different villages. That's the the absolute opposite of elite. And I was spending my time down in Forward Road Library, picking up the the geography, before Margaret had written geography through inquiry, but picking up inquiry approaches to geography, which I thought was, was wonderful. We'd started off with a book 
in what we call the second year in those days called Under the Southern Cross that provided so many misconceptions about the Southern continents that it was ridiculous. So we do have these problems, I think, not just about geography and whiteness, but the GA and whiteness and the GA and and this sense out there from some people that it's elite. Well, I, for me personally, it, it isn't at all. But Richard, what do you think? I mean, I think that reputation is true. I remember when I went to my first GA conference on my own, I said to my department, I want to go to the GA conference. And I, I'd been as a PGCE student. And at that particular time, I can't remember where it was, but um, none, no one else in my department um, was going. And I think someone said to me, he said, well, you know, you better, you better be careful. It's a bit it's a bit cliquey, they said, a bit cliquey. Um, anyway, within about two hours of arriving, I was on a committee because I turned up, I had my, my lanyard on. Someone said, are you at the conference? Oh, hello. And they introduced themselves and introduced myself. And, and, and that was that. And it was dead easy so I thought well I don't know quite where that reputation had come from because it's uh it just wasn't my experience either I mean I think what, what Charlotte was saying is, is absolutely true and what you've been talking about and, and I think it is I, I'd like to think it's now starting to change certainly with a lot of the work that, that, that Charlotte and, uh, and a whole host of other people um are working on and and, and I think things slowly are, are changing if you looked at the the GA conference that we had uh, this past Easter there was a huge amount of presence of of people who are actively working on decolonizing the curriculum fantastic sessions that have been going on and it certainly has made me rethink what I do um, and, and rethink how I present certain places uh, and I think it's 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 it, but it's going to take time you know the, these things do take time to, to get ingrained a few people will start there's a few articles out there there's more resources but over time um, things will, will will start to change but I, I I don't I wish we all had very easy solutions to these things but we don't I mean I mentioned earlier on um, when I went to the Gambia, um, you know, I, I taught in a school in the, in the Gambia in West Africa for, for a short while. Um, I've been using the Gambia as a case study in my teaching for, for, for years, and it's been um, a fascinating country to keep going back to. But you don't see that in textbooks. And if you did, um, I think it would be presented in a, in a particular way um, by the people who write those textbooks. Um, and I'm certainly not suggesting I'm a, a complete expert because clearly my experience of being in that country for a couple of months was, was very much through my own perspective. But I'd like to think that having been there for a couple of months and teaching in a school and talking to the children, that I had got a, a perspective on it that, that is perhaps a bit fuller than perhaps you might see um, it printed in, in certain places. But it is one of those things. As geography teachers, it is absolutely right at the heart of, of what we do. And so we need to get it right. What do you think, Charlotte? Do you feel that things are changing? Are you gloomy about it or are you positive about it? Um, well, I think Richard's right. There's there's definitely far, far more of a of a presence of no. There's there's definitely more work out there. I think about you know how we can decolonize. You know, if I look at more, I've got some uh, teaching geography journals next to me at the moment. Um, if I look at kind of the more recent ones, there's definitely more of those kinds of articles in there exploring those sorts of things. And yeah, with, with the with the conference as well this year in particular, there were there are a number of different, you know, talks and, and workshops and things around those those kinds of issues. And I suppose from my experience, you know, doing geography at university for my undergraduate, that was in 2013 is when I started it. It's not something I really remember people talking about very much. I remember, you know, exploring different social issues, but race was never really at the forefront of those conversations and how we can kind of explore things through that kind of lens. And I feel like it is much more part of the conversation now. And with doing my um, my MA, it's not in geography, it's, it's social justice and education. So we've got people on that, on that course that 
are teachers or they work in education not as teachers so it's, it's not necessarily geography focused but I know even with that there's there's a um they've got a big push now for trying to explore decolonizing a little bit more and I know from speaking with the with the tutors as well that I think that you know that they're trying to kind of include more um more focus on that so I feel like there's more of a presence there in geography but also more widely as well it puts us in more of a, a difficult situation, I think, politically, because you're now beginning to challenge, if you're decolonizing, then it, it becomes historical geography. And you're beginning to challenge other people's views of history. We're beginning to challenge the way that people think about society and how it's organized. We might even start to be challenging capitalism as a way of moving forward because we know we only have one planet and we've had the DFE instructions about how we're not allowed to challenge any thinking about capitalism um, in a negative way at least. So I don't know whether any of you've got any views on, on that and how teaching geography can help us through this and think through where we want to feel confident and how we challenge people who will disagree with us, particularly when we start talking about decolonizing and, and what that means and what woke is. I think that is, is that not the role of what we do? Is that not the whole point of geography teaching? Is that not what we're here to do, to challenge, to, to get students to think, to, to present them with some material and say, well, what do you think about this? Is this true? Uh, get something that's a right wing bit of writing, put it in front of the year nine students because they're going to find that on social media when they get home. So the idea of trying to hide that from them is ludicrous. Put it in front of them, but get them to critique it, get them to look through it, get them to say, hang on, that phrase doesn't doesn't sound right. Right. Why have they written that phrase? Who's going to write that? What's the purpose of that? Who Who's written this? And what's the what's the purpose of what they're trying to do? Is this a factual document or is this some sort of polemic that's going to try and get you to, to alter your viewpoint? Oh, yes, they then say, then you do the same thing, get something on the other extreme, put that in front of them. And that's, I think, that what good geography teaching is all about. It's about challenging our students, get them to think and get them to, 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 to change what they might have preconceived about a certain thing. Children get their, there was a, re, a bit of research recently, I think, that said that young people are getting their news these days from TikTok um, and social media. They don't watch, they don't read newspapers, they go online. And, and the, we also know that there's uh, algorithms at play. So if you start clicking on, on certain news stories that have a particular bias, your, the algorithm in your computer will, will throw more of that stuff towards you. So you get, and it's called an online filter bubble. There's a, there's a, a TED talk on it, on it out there somewhere. And I show that to my students because they can get lost in these online filter bubbles. And, and of course, what turns up on their newsfeed is constantly more of what they, what they were looking for. They then construct this reality around them that the world is in a certain way. And our job has to be to pop these bubbles. We have to be popping these online filter bubbles and saying, okay, look, you might, be, might have seen that, but have you seen this? And I think if we don't do that and we don't get children to challenge, they're going to go home and they're going to go out into the big wide world not really knowing how to do that. So I think part of our job as geography teachers has to be about saying, well, where has this come from? What do you think? Is that the truth? Is that the truth? Is that a lie? What, what do you think? To me, it just comes back to what is really, really good geography teaching. The DfE did fund um, a programme that was run with the Historical Association and Geographical Association, Critical Thinking for Achievement. And a lot of that was about looking and being critical about the sources that you were given and critiquing them. One of them that, that I used with students was um, Terry Jones and the um, 
the penguins that fly south, uh, that fly north, sorry, for the uh, for the winter. And they 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 take off and they're beautiful and, and you see it in the and they land in the um, they land in the tropical forest and and they, they spend their time there and then they fly back again and it's beautifully done it's an April Fool students are very easily fooled the um, South American tree octopus is another one that a teacher created to get students to think creatively and to critique and to and to not be fooled by what they read in their bubble. Alice and Charlotte, you two are both much younger, well, than me, although Richard's now admitted to being getting a little bit older, even though he wouldn't look like it. So <laughs> what do you think from your perspective? Because uh, your, your view on, on young people, you are then. How does it work for you? Well, I was just going to contribute and say that not only um, do we need to get the students to think critically about the resources that they that we present them, but we need to think critically about the resources that we use within the classroom. And as a department at the school I'm currently in, that's something that we're constantly working on. That's something that we're constantly reviewing um, to try and dispel and challenge misconceptions across all topics within geography and think about where our resources are coming from rather than just trust in the textbook really kind of think critically about that resource and things like decolonizing geography um the website is really useful um useful resource to use to make us aware of some of these kind of perspectives that we might put in front of children or resources that we might use with the students and to think challengingly about that and about what we teach so i think that's also a really important part of the conversation that's happening um, at the moment in my school, and I hope lots of other schools as well. I think that would be um, quite an interesting article, no, a very interesting article for teaching geography, to be honest. I, I do <laughs> think that that would be really useful. Charlotte? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, of course, it's really important to be critical, and I think teaching young people those skills to be critical thinkers is, is vital in order to kind of change the way that things are, um, you know, to develop their critical consciousness um, and their ability to, to question things and not just accept things the, the way that they are. I think that's one of our most important roles as teachers. I just wanted to kind of go back to um, just a little bit to what we were talking about in terms of kind of changing people's perceptions of, of these kinds of issues and, and trying to teach in a more kind of anti-racist way and I think there's a really big misconception about what decolonizing is um, and I think a lot of people have this idea that it's about um, changing what we teach about uh, erasing certain things from the curriculum or erasing things from history and it's it's, it's much more about including things that have genuinely already been erased you know things around black history for example which does form a part of geography and it's about contextualizing things and teaching things in a more truthful and full way. And I think that is really important for young people because, as you say, that you know, they might get certain ideas or knowledge from places that are teaching things in a, a very kind of singular way outside of the classroom. Um, and you know, inside the classroom, that's our opportunity to give them this really kind of broad understanding of, of the world. And you know, in geography, for example, if you think about teaching case studies, for example, people might have already perceptions of places. And it's our job to really flesh that out and give students that 
full understanding of of what a place is like um I think that's really important and also kind of continuing to talk about what's important for young people um there was an article that um Kit Rackley wrote in the recent teaching geography journal um which I think was really important it was about teaching empathy when we're teaching about hazards and I think empathy is something that I would like to really focus more on in the classroom because I think it is really important because you know students are desensitized to things I know you know I think I'm a bit desensitized to things sometimes you see things on the news all the time and things like that I think it's really important that we try to reconnect with the the human element of things and the, the humanity of, of some of the things that we teach about yeah it's easy to forget that there are people you, mm. you can you can watch what's going on in Pakistan at the moment and at one level you forget that this is people's lives and homes, and it's an absolute mm. disaster. The last podcast that I did was with Professor Elan Kelman, and we were talking about there are no such things as natural disasters, and a disaster is not a sudden event either. It comes about after a long, long period of, of political choices, usually mm. choices foisted on people who have no choice, and all of that can get lost if you just look at it in the moment rather than being a long-term process. If we managed the resources better, there shouldn't be disasters. We'd know what we were doing when we built on a, a floodplain and we wouldn't allow people to put themselves in a vulnerable position because we would manage it better, I think. But it yeah. does become political again. And, and that's, I think, uncomfortable for some geography teachers. There's a quote, this was from Ian McFarlane ages ago, but he said, if he was doing his time again, because he's a, a reader in English, isn't he? he said, if he had his time again, he'd do geography because that's where, that's where it's at. That's where the real discussions are taking place. But it becomes then uncomfortable how we decide quite what the trusted voice is, I think. Because you're right, Charlotte, people will will object to things you, you've said and yeah. say that you're rewriting history. If you opened up some of the things on Twitter, you'd find some pretty foul abuse, I would think, that you're talking about. You're opening up geography teachers to difficult questions. Richard was talking yeah. about how we sh it should be inquiry, and it should. But it is difficult for teachers. Where do you stand on a continuum of whether I'm just opening them up to all the choices and, and leaving it to them to make a choice. I'm thinking this through as I go, but there are lots of right answers and there are, there are some utterly wrong answers. I, I think when teachers say there are no right or wrong answers, I think that's wrong. There are lots of different right answers with different implications. If you're an economist, you'd have one answer. If you're a sociologist, you'd come up with another answer. But if your students come up with something that is, is wrong because it's sexist or racist, you're into a position where you're starting to challenge their beliefs. And I think that's a tricky one. I don't know what you think, Richard. Absolutely. And you're right. And it comes back to this idea of trusting teachers as professionals. We are professional geography teachers. This is what we do. This is what we're trained to do. This is what we uh, that's what teaching geography journal is about in, in to bring it back to, to to the journal, because actually it does say there are articles like Charlotte's article. Um, 
say, look, actually, these are difficult things, but look, have a read of this, see what you think. This will give you some confidence. And I'm the first to admit, I don't always get this right. I don't get things right. I'm still learning, but that's the point. You know, we, we are trained professionals. We use our judgment in the classroom and the more experience we have there. And, and also it'll be, it'll be different for all of us. If you have a very diverse classroom, you're going to be working in a certain way. If you have a less diverse classroom, it's in some ways more important to try and bring in different voices because you haven't got them in front of you. Um, and you can't draw on that experience. So it's, it comes back to that idea about being a well-qualified, well-trained, intelligent, free-thinking, good geography teacher. It's what we do. Which is where teaching geography comes in again, because it's a piece of ongoing professional development, getting that magazine. But you could also go to a blog site, for instance. So what are the merits of one above the other? If I'm somebody who's then saying, well, I don't think I'm going to take teaching geography, I'm going to get everything off a blog. How do you talk me back around into teaching geography? <laughs> okay, I think blog, no, blogs are great. Um, what, what's brilliant about blogs is often you get, you, it, it can be instant. So you can something can happen in the morning and you can be blogging about it in that day. Um, you can put links in to, to various other websites and, and take them out and, and, and use, use those to help you. The, the blogs are one of the greatest things that teachers have been able to do, but also they're one of the worst things that teachers can be able to do because the problem with blogs and the, the ones I have a bigger problem is with the ones that are trying to be an article. When I read a blog and it's someone sharing their experience or sharing some resources, that's great. And I use, I read blogs, I read, I read loads of them. Where I have an issue is where people are trying to write something that sounds academic with academic references because that's where misconceptions creep in. That's where misunderstandings creep in. My doctorate, uh, which led on to, to, to a book that I published, and I, you spoke to David Lambert a few weeks ago on a jog pod, was about this thing called powerful knowledge. Now, I, I don't think we've got time to unpack powerful knowledge, but it's almost a, you know, it's, it's quite a hard concept. It is one of those more challenging ideas. Um, and yet, um, when, when people teachers started to talk about them, including some um, well-established people in, in quite high positions started using that term powerful knowledge. They were using it incorrectly. So there's a difference between knowledge of the powerful, which goes back to some of that stuff we were talking earlier on about who controls knowledge and powerful knowledge. And the idea of powerful knowledge is that it's the children who have the power. You, they have the, through their geography education, they are empowered by the, the, their knowledge. And, and there's a, that's quite a distinct difference. And I'm not saying that there's no more critique, because of course there is. Um, but, it, but I remember starting to read blogs when people were using it in completely the wrong context. And I thought, oh, I've got to, uh, I've got to try it. And I started policing Twitter for a while. And I thought, I can't, I just can't do it because they're well. And once it starts to get out there, that misconception gets repeated and gets repeated and, and, and off it goes. And then you can't control it anymore. And that's what you don't get, of course, from teaching geography. So if we had an article that came into us, where it started talking about things incorrectly, it would get picked up. We have a, you know, our team of reviewers are, well, we're all just teachers, people, GA members, um, but one of us will, will be involved in it. And we'll go, hang on, what, what is that written? And at least the final article that, that will then be published is that authoritative voice. And it's that's, that is the key. So blogging is great, but I think you get that or peer reviewed authoritative um, voice coming through. And, I, and one of the things someone said to me once about blogs, because I've, I've said this before about blogging, and someone said, ah, yes, but blogging is the ultimate peer review because you publish your blog and then there's a comment section underneath and people will, will say, no, no, you've got it wrong. Except, of course, that's not quite right because the word peer in peer review doesn't just mean someone your own age or someone in your own job. It means someone who actually knows a bit about what other people have said. It's not that. And, and that's the difference, I think. So 
if you've got someone with a large following on social media, just because they've got a large following doesn't mean that they're right and doesn't mean that what they say has to go. And I think that's why, and I, and I go back to with, 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 with Alice and Charlotte here, you know, I've always been keen to get new writers, get new voices in teaching geography, because otherwise it's the same old people again and again. And I say that as someone who's published a few articles. I know I'm one of those same old voices. I know that. But that's why I'm really keen to try and get new voices in all the time, because that's where you get the get get. Uh, that variety that you get with the people who haven't necessarily got a large social media following and you get th those voices put on that big platform in a peer-reviewed way that's authoritative. So we want to widen the uh, the range still that's part of why we're talking about teaching geography today so Alice and Charlotte what what advice have you got to people out there who who might be thinking I've got nothing to say or might be on the cusp of thinking well I've got something to say but I'm not sure that I can see it through teaching geography. Alice, first, what would you say? Um, just go for it. I think I understand that it, it might be really daunting to kind of start a project in the middle of the teaching year or whilst you're in full-time teaching. But as mentioned, the editorial board are really supportive. They understand that we are busy teachers um, and they will allow the process to be well-spaced, um, to suit your needs so i really think go for it even having this conversation and uh talking at the ga earlier this year at the conference has made me really want to write another article so i think if you've got an idea or you have something to share really do just put it forward because yeah it's it, the opportunity to write for the ga and all of the other opportunities that come as a result of writing for the ga are so worth it. Charles. Yeah, I, I, again, I would say just go for it. I'd say, you know, as a teacher, most of the hard work is that would go into it, you've probably already done in the classroom. Um, I'd say, you know, you, you've got so much knowledge and experience as a teacher, even if you're in your, your training year, you're really in, in the middle of it all. And there's so much that, you know, you could write about, and if you've got some ideas, I, I would suggest just, just getting them down. The editorial board can really help you into kind of shaping it into what it should be in the end. Um, so I, I think it would be really, you know, it would be really positive if we, you know, if we could hear from more people, because I'm sure there's so many teachers out there that have so many incredible ideas. And it would be such a shame if people just didn't feel that they could do it. And I just I want people to feel that they can. Um, so, I, yeah, I would say just go for it approach the GA they're more than happy to help and as Richard said you know they, they want more people to do it so you know they'll, they'll be really happy to support. On that I just um just to add to what Charlotte said really that um I think it's less like writing your own assignment where you kind of have to spend hours doing spell checks um and making sure things make sense the editorial board do all of that for you so you can just get something down on a Word document and the editorial board will really help to make that a cohesive piece of writing and even give you prompts of articles that you could read and then include within your article. Yeah, as Charlotte said, um, just to, we I think we both agreed to just go for it and the editorial board are really, really supportive. I think what you said, Charlotte, as well about you've probably already done it. Yes. It's so true. I've seen so much good practice in quality mark schools over the years. One of the things that people sometimes say is, oh, doesn't everybody do this? 
Well, no, actually, no. That's the only thing. What you've just done is brilliant, and it really would be useful to share. And you talked about that sharing with others, which is basically what the Geographical Association set out to do when it was first developed all those years ago, was to help teachers share ideas within a framework of peer-reviewed and supportive colleagues Finally, then, I've got I've got one question I'd like to put to all of you, because I do think that teaching geography has grown. When I first got it, it was black and white. It became colour. It still shares really good ideas, but it has to change with the times because it's now competing, as we talked about, with blogs, although it's different. It's competing with other forms of media where people get their ideas from. So how do we maintain that freshness? How do we how do we keep it going? And how do we challenge some of the things that we've talked about, whether people still view it as elitist? And how do we challenge teachers, continue to challenge teachers' thinking? I think that's really hard. And I think it's about encouraging new voices all the time. I think it's very, very easy for us to sit around and go, um, I mean, all the people on the editorial board could sit and write an article in an afternoon and we could keep doing that and churning out TGs uh, forever. But that's not the point. We want to hear from new people. We want to get voices. Teaching geography will remain relevant and will remain important all the time that people are, are writing for it and they're writing things that are interesting and they're writing things that, that challenge. So, for example, I mean, I really like that there's a raising issues from 2019 from Charles Rording where he wrote about putting burges in the bin. A really, really challenging article saying we shouldn't be using the Burgess model in our teaching anymore. And it's a brilliant, brilliant article. And what I loved about that was it was followed up a few months later uh, by Steve Puttick, who wrote an article saying, no, taking Burgess out of the bin. And he wrote a counter argument. And to me, that is how a journal works. Someone puts something out there. Someone reads it and says, oh, I disagree with that and put something else up there. And it's great. And I've used this with, with PGCE students. I've given them both and said, let's now start a debate. Let's start that professional discussion. All the time that that, that goes on, the journal remains relevant. And all the time the journal remains relevant, people will read it and, and keep coming back to it. And Alice, you've got to be keeping it relevant because when you're talking about things like virtual fieldwork and all the new technologies, that's a scary place for some teachers to go into. We use some virtual reality headsets when I was working with Manchester Met University. It was absolutely fantastic. But I think without some sort of guidance, I wouldn't have quite known how to have got into it. So you've done the first stages with that. That's definitely keeping it relevant. What, uh, what do you think? What else would your next bit of advice be? I think, well, one of the, I think kind of one of the biggest things of writing for teaching geography is sharing those resources. And I think that encourages more teachers to uh, delve into that aspect of teaching and then share their resources. So I think that the conversation of virtual fieldwork has really kind of kick-started again, largely due to COVID-19. But I think it's fantastic that we have this bank of uh, articles that situate around using virtual fieldwork in all different kinds of ways that teachers can then use and adapt to suit them. So I think it's, if you do have a great teaching idea, to share that and it kind of can act as a kind of a, a board with which other teachers can contribute and uh, share their resources around the same concepts and, and make teachers more comfortable with using some of those concepts. And um, I think with a lot of these articles as well, the resources that um, I used in my virtual field work, the readers have access to those resources. So it's a way of which we can help workload as well. 
Oh, I definitely think that because there's huge amounts of resources out there. And I mentioned earlier, some of them very poor, but finding them, sometimes you drop on something, it's absolutely brilliant, but you didn't have time to, or, or it took you two hours to find it. It's somebody who's done that sort of research, I think, and then started to share it. It's, it's a real benefit for teachers to have that sort of, um, that sort of resource. So it, it may be a resource about resources. Charlotte, a last word from you, I think. Yeah, I think, um, you know, trying trying to make sure that teaching geography is, you know, talking about things that perhaps haven't been talked about very much in the past. So, you know, things around decolonising and race, and, but, you know, even maybe talking about queer geographies and things that a lot of geography teachers out there might be thinking, well, I wish someone would talk about this. Or, you know, I think it would be really great if teaching geography could kind of continue to explore some of those some of those issues that perhaps haven't been at the forefront in the past and I think a really important part of that is increasing the pool of people that write for teaching geography as we've touched on and I think a challenge in that aspect is probably um, around the fact that a lot of geography teachers and teachers in general do continue to be you know in this country anyway typically white a lot of them middle class um, so it's about you know how can we increase the diversity of of TG writers when we still have, you know, a slightly more homogenous cohort, you might say, of teachers across the country. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, bringing to the forefront things that haven't been discussed in the past as much is probably an important thing going forwards, I would say. Can I just ask a question on that? Um, if you were maybe apprehensive about writing or sharing an opinion or talking about a, a difficult issue or starting a difficult conversation, what advice would you give someone towards you know publishing um, a piece that situates around it having a difficult conversation or maybe a conversation where um, people there might be certain readers that would disagree? Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, because as we've touched on, it's you know you're putting yourself in a position where you're opening yourself up for for challenge or criticism. I think it's a tough question, Alice. I think it's it's about kind of seeing the importance of it and seeing the importance of it not just for for teachers in their practice but for students and how it impacts the students uh, and I think an important kind of argument about you know introducing or um refocusing some of these some of these issues is you know it's about safeguarding the children and about you know how can you make them feel safe and included in the classroom and I would always kind of go back to that and say that, you know, that's kind of the most important thing about what we do. And that's what we should be striving to achieve. But you're right, it's difficult. And, you know, it might be that people want to talk about things that personally affect them and they might not feel comfortable kind of putting themselves in that position. So it is really tricky. And I'm not sure I have a, a, like a definitive answer for that. But I think, yeah, I would just go back to thinking about, you know, how we can focus the, the students and, and their experience of schooling. I think I'm going to give Richard the last word on this because you're the guest editor for the next Teaching Geography. What can we expect from Teaching Geography, the next edition, and, um, and for the, the future? Well, the autumn 2022 edition, I can tell you about because I've been editing it all summer. Um, we, it, it's really interesting. We don't do themed issues anymore. We used to have a theme for an issue, but we don't do that anymore. But what's been interesting is we've had 
I guess, two things that have come out, really. There's still the climate issue. The climate's come back large. Um, as you know, and Lots of people writing about, we've got a great article on the use of um, climate literature, um, using uh, Clylith, and we call it, where it's um, kind of fiction, um, fictional books and in the classroom. We've got an article on that. We've got, uh, but also a lot about... Um, the challenge is post-COVID, and I don't like to use post-COVID because we are still in the middle of the pandemic, um, but we are back in the classroom, we are back doing field work, and that presents some challenges. So there are some, art, there are some um, articles coming up about how we might support children with their mental health on field work, how we might support children with, uh, who are autistic on planning when we plan field work. And um, other than that, you've also got your, 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 your usual articles about um, how we might teach. There's some great things about using physical models in the classroom. So rather than using going online all the time, actually, hey, let's have a box with some sand in and a hose pipe and, and create little rivers. And so we've got those coming up. That, that's Autumn TG. Beyond there, um, the main editor is Mel Norman um, at Brighton University, and she, she's, she's at the helm after that. Brilliant. Well, that's been really interesting talking to you three. I, I would probably gone well over time, but it's it's just been fascinating. Is there anything, any last words which I should give you before we close? Any any last final summing up? Um, if anyone is interested in writing for teaching geography, the, the the mechanism for doing it is always printed on the inside cover. Of, of each edition of Teaching Geography. So if you open up the front page, have a look on there, it, it's got contact details, it's got email addresses, it's got how you go about doing it. Just make contact and we'll take it from there. And I always always say to people, if you're interested in writing, um, rather than sending us, don't send us a full master's dissertation, we don't want that, don't send us the whole, you know, the whole thing. One of the best things you can do is make contact early and say, look, I'm thinking about this, does that sound right? And we'll give you advice from there. The earlier you can get in, in touch, in some ways, the easier it will be and the better it will be because it saves you lots of time wasting when you're writing. And John, I look forward to your next article. <laughs> anything else, Charles? Anything you'd like to add? I just think if if you want advice um, or any help, then I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help. And I'm sure there's other lots of teachers out in the teaching community as well that are more than happy to, to help. So you can throw us an email and yeah, we'd be more than happy to give advice. Well, listen, that's been brilliant. Thanks, everyone, for that. It's been a fascinating hour or so for JobPod. Um, and I, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Thank you.